Welcome in, everyone, to episode 19 of the Peach State Tailgate Sports Podcast. I'm Kenny Cochran, joined, as always, by my co-host here, Mr. Jake Hill. Ow, ow. It's, uh, we, ha- we had a little week-long sabbatical last week. you have to excuse us for that, ladies and gentlemen. Um, been a, it's a crazy time right now in both Jake and I's lives. We had a lot going on. Been out of town for uh, a few a few weeks throughout the past couple months um that's held up the podcast a little bit had a couple things going on back at home some work stuff going on and that brings me to tonight if you're tuning in watching the live tonight um, i apologize for our tardiness um sometimes life gets in the way of you and uh unfortunately have a little situation go on with the with the with the little boy had to run him to the doctor right quick but all is good all is good and um you know, we're here. We're here. So it's a little, little bit later, but we're glad to be here nonetheless and talk some sports with you guys. Um, so, yeah, a little week break. We had a lot go on. Um, we spent a lot of time reflecting, I, I can confidently say, on my own accord on um, a couple things. One thing that we'll get to here in a minute. Um, but, yeah, man, a lot, a lot of sports have gone on. College football is really getting into things, um, seeing some shakeups on the rank on the rankings. NFL season's getting underway a little bit more each week. and. Um, Baseball season, you know, it it's a uh, it's the postseason. So uh, I don't, Jake. Why don't you go ahead and and do your part, Kenny? Um, normally I say great introduction. That one got a little bit a little bit off the rails at the end, but uh, I, I do respect it. I know I know it's been a long day for you. Um, Kenny's just coming back from vacation, by the way, everybody. Um, welcome back, Kenny. Welcome back from vacation. And uh, I kind of want to add on top of your uh things saying sorry for last week um i was working some crazy hours like i just mentioned kenny was on a little bit of a trip near the end of the week so we couldn't really find time to get in there like we said life kind of gets in the way sometimes you know you got to take care of real world stuff before we get on here and ramble on about sports um even though it's a big part of our lives there are things that come in front of it at times so uh yeah um let's go ahead and kick this thing off kenny um we are going to talk a little bit about some baseball some season ending baseball for your atlanta braves sadly um and like like jake said got got a little bit down in the dumps there in that intro guys and um you know with good reason with good reason so let's address the elephant in the room jake okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna try to i'm gonna try to keep negatives uh negatives quick and easy um the Braves season is over after a 3-1 series loss to Philadelphia Phillies in the uh, NLDS. So, you know, it, it is what it is. Philly came out. Philly played a lot tougher ball than the Braves did. If you watched it, you paid attention to any of these games. They had all the momentum. They were in the dugouts going crazy, and we looked dead. So that that's all I'm going to say about our performance there. We played a hell of a season. Um, the best Braves season we've seen in, you know, over a decade, regular season-wise. So, you take that away, you see all the young talent we have. We move on to next year. We move on to the offseason. And, you know, we start attacking different needs and trying to address, you know, where this team can build around. Yeah, I think that was well said, Jake. I mean, obviously it's sad. We talk about the Braves, man. We hate to see the season end like that. But, you know, nonetheless, it was a great year for the Braves, a great year for Braves fans. We got to enjoy a full 162 and some odd games for the postseason of being reigning world champions we still have a couple weeks ahead of us of, of toting that toting that title around so enjoy it while you can brace fans we're gonna be back um aa is gonna put the boys in a good position um so you know there's a lot of negatives we could talk about of how things shook up and i'm sure we'll dive more into that but um you know for a sake of keeping the podcast a, a little bit more positive and limiting the negatives as much as you can um, i agree 100 percent, jake 
I mean, hell of a season, man. Was it best record since 03? Yeah, I believe so. I believe it was 03. So you talk about a 20-year a twenty year period of, of not winning more games than we did this year. Um, so you, either way you look at it, the, the NL East is so much more competitive than it ever has been. And the Braves come back with another NL East title and uh, go into that postseason. And, yeah, it doesn't end the way we want it to, but, man, uh, great season, and uh, we're excited to to move forward. Yeah, and I don't want to take anything away from this Phillies team, too. This is a team that in the offseason, going into the 2021 season, that everybody was looking at as like, okay, this team might be real. They went out and added guys like Schwarber. They went out and added guys like Nicholas Castellanos. Um, and throughout the season, it kind of seemed like they were, you know, Whenever Joe Girardi was still manager, they they were kind of down in the dumps, but then they fired him, got the new guy in, and they they were almost like replicates of what the Braves did last year. They started playing really, really good ball in the second half of the year. I know they went through a little bit of a cold stretch at one point on in the West Coast, but other than that, they played really good ball in the second half of the year, and they carried it on to the postseason. Like You look at that team top to bottom, they're a lot better than what records say, and you know, looking forward, I know they have the Padres in the way right now, Uh, you know, at least... The Dodgers also got eliminated in LDS like the Braves did. So it's not that kind of makes things feel a little bit better because it feels like, you know, the past two years we've seen Braves, Dodgers, and LCS. So seeing them also not make it kind of makes it seem like we're not the odd, odd man out. Um, but, you know, the Phillies have just as good of a chance as anybody else in the league right now to win it all between the Yankees, Astros, and Padres. Um, so we'll see how this postseason plays out. But, you know, like we mentioned, the Atlanta Braves will not be participating the rest of the way through. <laughs> You mentioned it there with the Dodgers, too, man. We talk about Freddie Freeman all year long, Braves legend. Man leaves Atlanta, heads to L.A., and extends his season by about four hours. Yes, yes, I, I saw that. I saw on Twitter people were, people were clowning him. And also, he was the final out, by the way. Josh Hader struck him out, final out. That, Josh Hader got his revenge. Yeah, after, after last year's NLDS. Uh, you want to get into some positives here, Kenny? I have a couple notes that uh, I can get into. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to start it off, and this, this is a positive for some people. It could be a negative for others. It depends how you feel about this guy. But uh, this, was, this was news that was broken right before the postseason started, I believe. And uh, the Braves took care of Charlie Morton. Um, we extended Charlie Morton by a year for $20 million. We also have a $20 million club option for 2024 that has no buyout. So if we wanted to just let him be a free agent or let him retire, whatever he wants to do, he can go right ahead. Um, I'm on the side that leans that this might be a little bit of an overpay. It feels like it a little bit to me. But the one thing about Charlie Morton you can guarantee is he is a guy that is going to eat innings and give you somewhat productive ball on the mound. Like, there's not a doubt about it. He's not a guy that is very injury prone. Other than postseason, we've seen it now two years in a row. He's gotten hurt in the postseason. But that's kind of a fluky thing. But in regular season, just being able to come out there every fifth day and give you a competitive game and keep your offense in the game and be able to, you know, you know not give up too many runs on the mound – you can't really ask for a better guy like Chuck. And he's also, you know, the old man in the room in that, in that starting rotation. So I, I guess it's going to be a good thing to have him back next year for, you know, another, another year on the contract. No, it really is, man. And yeah, you mentioned it with the overpay. Uh, it's not the most team friendly contract in the world probably, but I mean, you're looking at a guy who came in as really the fourth or fifth starter in this rotation as the year played on. And I mean, Dude's top 20 in ERA in the National League. So, I mean, that's not much more you can ask from a bottom bottom rotation guy. Definitely. Uh, I also want to mention, looking forward, um, the Braves have a couple free, couple key free agents hitting the, hitting the open market this year. We talk about the big one, Danzy Swanson. And then you also mentioned guys like Kenley Jansen, Adam Duvall. You know, there's a couple guys out there. Luke Jackson's also a notable one, also hitting the market. Um, it's, I'm curious to see what the Braves do about this situation because we're talking about a shortstop position that is absolutely loaded in the free agent market and a 
relief pitcher position that is also absolutely loaded in the free agent market. Duvall is an interesting one. I feel like it, there's a good chance the Braves see Duvall back, but I also think that uh, that um, Jock Peterson and Mitch Hanniger are also out there on the open market this year. So those are two guys that I would keep my eye on if the Braves try to go after that guy that can you know hold down left field every day with Eddie Rosario continuing to look like he's never played Major League Baseball. I'm assuming that's going to be an issue they try to address and get Eddie on the bench, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out as the season goes on. Yeah, I mean, it, obviously you mentioned it there with Dansby. Um, there's a lot of guys, man, that that this team – I mean, AA is just kind of proven year after year and, and really month after month throughout the season that he's going to put the team in a really good position to win, and he's going to put guys in successful positions and just really put you in a posi- position to succeed financially, um, you know, and – Many aspects. So for this Braves team, you got to have a little bit of trust that this guy's going to do what it takes to win, and uh, you do have that faith in him. So I'm a little bit curious to see how the Dansby situation uh, shapes up, and um, I won't I won't get into talking a little bit about it because I, I got a feeling you may you may ask me something here in just a little bit. Yeah, um, and that actually leads me to the question, and um, it, it's not particularly around Dansby, but it is around the shortstop position and trying to figure out where we want to put money in this offseason. And my question to you is. Do you think Von Grissom can hold down the starting shortstop job in 2023 on opening day? Do you think that is a spot that he is ready to hold? Ooh. Um, I don't know. I know that's the, that's the cop-out answer, but here's the thing about Vaughn. So, so Vaughn Grissom came into the league and really set the league on fire with, with what he did. Kind of in Michael Harris fashion to where he came up, you know, hits the bomb in his first major league hit over the green monster and tears it up. He played second base for a long time. This guy is um, a shortstop primary. So, you know, you look at the upside and the age and, and what you've got in this guy, and you can really develop him into being a top-tier player. I really do believe that, and I love Vaughn, and I think he can be that. The only thing that concerns me with Vaughn is that this team is set up to win now. Um we're set up for the future, too, so don't don't take that as me saying we're not set up for years to come. We certainly are. But when you have a roster like the Braves have, you talk about the pitching staff, you talk about the lineup, whatever you want to, this team is ready to go now. And I'm just not sure that Vaughn Grissom, day one moving forward, gives the Braves the best chance to be the best team they can at the shortstop position. I actually love how you answered that question. Um, if you had asked me this question – probably the first month he was in the big leagues, I would have said definitely. But uh, as we saw, as the season went on, he started to decline, and then he, he lost his job at second base to Orlando Arcia. And um, the one thing about Vaughn is, is if we go into the 2022 season, or 2023 season, my apologies, with Vaughn Grissom at shortstop on opening day, there's only two scenarios where I am satisfied with that happening. And that is if Jacob DeGrom is on this roster or Aaron Judge is on this roster. If neither of those things happen, there has to be money spent at the shortstop position. Von Grissom is a guy that is a good enough athlete where you can put him at different positions and make him work. But the thing is, is he's not a stellar fielder at shortstop or second base. So you don't you don't have to have you like you don't have to worry about blocking Vaughn by signing a guy like Correa or signing Swanson back or anything like that because. This is a guy you can send down to AAA next year or in spring training next year. You could put him out there and have him working in left field or, you know, anywhere out in that field and just try to give him a primary position. Like, this is not a guy you really have to worry about blocking. 
like I said, it, like I mentioned with his defense, he's not a great defender at shortstop. So you're not really worried about, okay, we're taking away his defense. Like that's not really his game. His game is hitting. That is what Von Grissom was when he was coming up through the system. He is a pure hitter. So, you know, unless we go into one of those scenarios where we go out and get one of those big dogs and there's not much money else to spend at the shortstop position, you give me Aaron Judge to play the outfield with Michael Harrison and Ronald Acuna, I will take Von Grissom in the lineup uh, every single day of the year. But outside of that, outside of that, we need a guy at short to produce in this lineup. So, you know, and like I mentioned with Degrom, that that's also a difference maker. Like, I, I know he's not in the lineup with the guys, but I mean, if you have him starting every fifth day, like, come on, guys. Like, <laughs> I think that's a trade-off we'd be willing to make. But uh, if that doesn't happen, then, you know, we need to be tra- targeting a guy like, of obviously, Dansby. He's probably the first option that we're going to go after. But outside of him, you know, we talk about Xander Bogarts. We talk about Trey Turner. We talk about Carlos Correa. These are names we've mentioned this whole year, trying to figure out this whole Dansby situation and what's going to happen. So, you know... This is something that's going to be really, really big. And I, me personally, the way the roster is constructed right now, you just take away Dansby from this roster and you add Vaughn. He is not ready to take over that shortstop spot. He, he's, he's not there yet. He's still a young kid, man. He has so much talent. We've seen it. You know, we see it at the major league level, which is a positive. We know this guy can hit at the major league level. It's just can he consistently hit on a 162-game basis? That's, that's where the big question mark is with Vaughn. And you know, as a 21-year-old, he still has, you know, two or three years of growth before, you know, guys are expected to be up at the major league level performing. Right, and and that kind of brings me to a question, too. I saw this floating around Twitter earlier, and I thought it was a pretty interesting perspective, so I wanted to get your take on this. Um, it was kind of, it, it was worded in a way, it, it was sort of like, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but Jake, if the Atlanta Braves bring in a top caliber shortstop in the MLB this upcoming season. Do you care if his name is Dansby Swanson or not? No. Am, am I wrong for saying like I, I love Dansby. I am a huge Dansby fan. Me and you both, Giddy, are are Dansby guys, but we've seen we've seen in the past, in the very, very recent past, that sometimes things don't work out. And sometimes right. you have to go other ways, you have to go other routes. And as long as you replace a guy like Dansby with another guy that is of that caliber, or maybe higher, depending who you ask, and you know there are guys out there that are higher. Like I, Braves fans, I'm sorry to tell you this: Trey Turner is a better baseball player than Dansby Swanson. Whether you want to believe it or not, it it is it is a fact. It is truth. We have a bigger sample size. Um, but no, I I basically to sum up, I do not care if it's Dansby Swanson. Like at the end of the day, I would probably be my heart would probably be broken if I saw Dansby Swanson putting on, let's say, a Boston Red Sox uniform. But, you know, I'm sure, you know, whenever April rolls around and we start getting to the summer months, I'm probably going to be just fine if we go out there and get another one of these top guys. Like, I, I don't you know, we, we talked about with Freddie. As a Braves fan, you can't be more heartbroken than whenever Freddie Freeman leaves the Braves. Dansby, as of right now, is not the same caliber Freddie was when he left Atlanta. Freddie was Atlanta. Dansby is too, don't get me wrong. But Dansby's also competing with guys like Austin Riley and guys like Ronald Acuna. Freddie Freeman was the soul, was was the soul of Atlanta. So that that's where the difference kind of is to me. And we've seen two good seasons out of Dansby. We saw 10 out of Freddie. <laughs> we saw a decade of Freddie Freeman. So, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes, but that that's my answer on it. I don't really mind. Well, and two, like, and I agree with you 100 percent there. I love Dansby. I think Dansby's the number one option, of course, but I'm a little bit concerned with what the magic number is going to be for Dansby. And I say that because when I look at the top five highest paid shortstops in the MLB, the numbers 
are a little concerning, especially the top three. You talk about the top three in salary for the shortstop position. Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, Corey Seager. These guys are getting paid $35 million, $34 million, and $33 million. It takes a little bit of a jump there headed into four and five where you see Trey Turner at four making 21 and Xander and, and Javi making 20 apiece. I, I'm i a little bit worried of what that, what that magic number is going to be for Dansby. Um, so, I mean, do you have any idea of what you think that magic number would be? Oh, this is a tough question. I don't think Dansby's going to touch those guys. I will say that. Dansby, and I, I, it, it comes with reason. Like, we talk about guys like Correa. And to be fair, Correa was a short-term deal. It was kind of a deal where he was going to allow himself to hit the open market again. So sometimes in those short-term deals, those one-year, two-year deals, you can see more money in a shorter span because, you know, the team doesn't have as much um, risk in it, per se. You know, there's nowhere near as much risk in a one-year deal as there is in a 10-year deal. So you kind of see that money be a little bit inflated. Um, and the sample size from Dansby Swanson is nowhere near a guy like Carlos Correa or a guy like Francisco Lindor. Francisco Lindor was a top five baseball player in baseball for multiple years. So I, I don't think it's going to be quite, quite the $30 million mark. Now, would I be surprised if Dansby signed like a six-year $150 million deal, $25, $25 million average annual value? No, I, I think that could be kind of somewhere in, in a – in maybe a range, but the one thing with Dansby is, is that I think in an open market this year, I think that he is probably the third or fourth option for most teams. Yeah, sample size uh, is is a big thing. I mean, you can't go out there and just invest a lot of money into somebody that's had you know two two solid hitting years in you know a span of a six or seven year career. So you know, you talk about like we mentioned guys like Xander and guys like Correa. You know, those are Turner. Those all three of those guys have had more success, have continuously been good for almost their whole career. Where Dansby Swanson's been a little bit of a late bloomer. Um, I do think that those three guys would probably be higher up. So what those guys sign for is gonna almost set the market for what Dansby Swanson's gonna sign for to me. I think he's gonna have to be somewhere a little bit lower than those guys. Now, I do I will say this. I do think that all three of those guys could be 30 plus million dollar players. Like that don't get me wrong. I think all three of them are possibly 30 million dollar players. Um, but it, it all just depends on where everybody else goes around. Like if you see Trey Turner sign for 30, I don't see a scenario where Dansby Swanson's gonna like get super close to that, especially when we talk about the offseason last year, whenever you know, Detroit went out and got Baez. Obviously, we talked about the Mets. I know it was a couple of years ago, but they got Lindor. Um, there was another. There's Corey Seager going to uh, Texas. I mean, you know, the short, shortstop's a crowded position, so I don't know if, you know, there's going to be so many super needs at the shortstop position around the league, if you know what I'm saying. No, I agree, and I'm going to call my shot here. I I am calling my shot right here. We're going to see a... Dansby Swanson. Hold on. Let me let me use my brain power here. Seven year, one hundred and seventy eight million dollar contract extension with the Atlanta Braves. Seven year, one seventy eight. Okay, I was I was thinking somewhere around seven years. I think seven years is a good mark for Dansby. He's somebody that's you know 
starting to get close to that 30 mark, but he's not quite there. I want to say Dansby's 28 right now. So, you know, you can get him until he's 35, which I, I think is interesting. One thing I will say, though, about the shortstop position, especially guys that value defense a lot, shortstop is typically a position where defense falls off pretty quick. It is a position that as you age, you know, your range gets a little bit, you know, get a little bit less range. So you see shortstops tend to decline at defense, you know, faster than offense. So Dansby being such a great defender, um, it, it, it could be pretty, uh, you know, a little bit scary with it, especially with his size. Like a guy like Correa, Correa is a little different. Correa is like a six foot four, like machine. Like I, I don't really see him declining defensively as much as I do Dansby. So it's it's a little bit of a thing there. Seven years, one seventy eight would bring Dansby just over twenty five million annually, and I feel like that's probably about right. I would probably lean a little bit closer to one fifty over seven. I think that might be closer. I know I said something earlier, like uh, what did I say? Five years or six years, one fifty twenty five million dollars a year. I think I think now I'm thinking about it. The closer I. I believe seven years. I'm gonna say seven years. One fifty four is what he gets. That's gonna be my my lean. Okay. I think it should be and north would, of just twenty. That would definitely be a lot more team friendly. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, this will be something that we'll all be keeping track of. Uh, this is this is the biggest conversation in the Braves offseason. What we're going to do the shortstop position, and it's gonna be a fun one because I guarantee you, AA is gonna do something that is going to make this team better. Like he's done it every single offseason to make the team better. I fully expect it to happen again this year. Um, and if Dansby's not the answer we saw last year with Freddie, he can go out there and get somebody else to be the answer. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I do have another question for you, Kenny, and it's not particularly involving this offseason, but it is involving a guy on the Atlanta Braves that um, is, is an interesting case because we've heard the talks of Dansby Swanson getting a contract extension. We've heard the talks of Max Freed possibly getting a contract extension. But there's a guy I want to mention as being the next young star in line to get his contract extension and um that is Kyle Wright I think that any day we're gonna get that news press from the Atlanta Braves that's gonna say oh the Atlanta Braves extend Kyle Wright eight years 74 million and it's probably gonna be more than that he's he's actually closer to free agency than a guy like Spencer Strider is like he he's you can't, you're not just buying out as many like arbitration years or like, you know, control years as you did with a guy like Strider. So it's probably gonna be more money than that. But I, I do feel like that Wright is going to be that next guy to get that pretty big extension. Oh, I would love to see that, man. I love Kyle Wright so much. Like this dude has been, I mean, you could make the case that he was the most consistent pitcher for us this year. Um, and obviously, you look at the numbers, and the numbers are great. Don't get me wrong. This dude's putting up potential Cy Young numbers. I mean, you look at the win total, like, led the MLB, which is nuts. And I know that's kind of a stat that gets a, a little bit overlooked nowadays. But game in, game out, you know what you're going to get from Kyle Wright. He came up huge in the postseason. He was huge for us all year long. And, and no disrespect to Max Fried or Spencer Strider, because those guys are just, you know, amazing, amazing talents. But Kyle Wright, I just, I feel like I've never seen him blow up. No, Kyle Wright, Kyle Wright is awesome. And, you know, I, I do want to mention last year, you know, he kind of made his name whenever he came in after the uh, Dylan Lee start. Um, and he, he basically saved the Braves that day. And uh, this year he came in against the Phillies and pitched one of the best, you know, he, he outdueled Zach Wheeler, which is, you know, if you could do that in a playoff environment, then good for you, bro. Like that, that he's had back to back, you know, big time postseason appearances. And, uh, you know, postseason is always what people hype up for. Like, 
you mentioned how he led the, led, led the league in wins, but if you can come in and pitch in the postseason, you are a very, very valuable option. Ian Anderson's a guy we look at in the past that was able to do that. You know, obviously we saw him fall off this year, so, you know, he wasn't around when it came to postseason time. But in the past, nobody talked about what Ian Anderson was doing in the regular season. He was like a 3.5 ERA pitcher throughout the regular season. Again, I would go out and give you consistent ball, but you knew when postseason time rolled around, he was going to be one of the best. It's just how he was. And I'm kind of starting to get that feel from Kyle right now where it's kind of like he's going to pitch good ball throughout the year. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's not amazing. He's not, he's not a top five pitcher in baseball by no means. He's probably closer to a top 20 pitcher. But, you know, so far what we've seen in, in his small sample size in the postseason, this guy can lock in. And it's kind of crazy to think about, too, because when I think of Kyle Wright when he first came up, this is a guy that seemed like whenever he got in trouble, it just, you know, snowballed on him. It was a snowball effect where it just kept on. He'd walk a guy and then he'd, you know, give up a little bloop hit and then he'd give up a three run bomb and then he couldn't get out of the inning. And now we're seeing a completely different Kyle Wright where he just, you know, he locks in on the mound. He, you know, if he walks somebody, he's going to, you know, that there's a pretty damn good chance that Kyle Wright's going to figure out how to get out of it, which is awesome, especially for a guy of his, you know, of his age, because this is really his first year being a consistent pitcher in the major leagues. Like this is. I'm not going to say it's his rookie year because it's not, but it practically was his first full year of the big league. So, you know, I, I would love to see this kid get a, you know, get some money in his and get some money in his pockets and continue to help the Braves for the next decade. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, this is just a guy that anytime he's out there on the mound, you feel like we're going to win the game. And I mean, what more can you really ask from from a starting pitcher? Yeah, that's all you need. I mean. The win stat is something that people don't really, you know, care about. I you know it's kind of like an overrated stat, but I mean, there is something behind it. The Braves tend to win when Kyle Wright pitches. I don't know, you know, what it, how how it works if, if you know the cards land right, but uh, something about Kyle Wright, we always win when he pitches, so <laughs> it's notable. But uh, I do want to mention, I, I think that is it. For me on Braves Talk, Kenny, uh, I know we kept it brief. We have a pretty long offseason coming ahead of us with a lot of news and stuff to come. So, you know, we're going to have a podcast uh, coming up pretty soon with Georgia having a bye week. And we're going to break down, you know, basically the whole season, give out our MVPs, our surprises of the year, our, you know, funniest guy on the team of the year. I don't know, but we're going to have a whole podcast yeah. on that stuff next week. So that's whenever you'll see us kind of talk more about last year and then, you know, going into next year. And next season, as the offseason rolls on, we'll start to kind of discuss that stuff more as it goes. But as of right now, the baseball season is still going. So it's kind of hard for us to talk about a team that's not playing right now when the season is still active. So as it goes, we'll start to discuss it a little bit more. But we want to give you all some little thoughts before things start, you know, really, really kicking in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll dive into it a little bit more, man, and kind of give some brave superlatives. Very nice. Uh. I have Hawks next on my agenda, Kenny. Do you want me to do Hawks, or do you want to go ahead and do Carolina Hurricanes? It, it, whichever one you want to do, Jake. I'm fine with whatever. I'm going to let you go ahead and do Hurricanes. Uh, I have a little bit of stuff I'll talk about the Hawks afterwards. Yeah, I'm sure you got more to talk about than I do. So, um, yeah, let's go ahead and touch on the Canes, man. Um, I mean, well, you, you can't really ask for a better start to the year. Um, Canes come out 3-0, and hottest team in hockey right now, um, tied for the league lead in points. The team's been playing amazing. Um, Goaltending has been astounding. Three goals allowed through three games. Freddie Anderson is an absolute gangster. Um, big. Uh, I mean, you've just seen the, the team has changed a lot. We talked about some offseason acquisitions, some guys that we brought in, some young, some young talent. We lose a couple guys as well, but you keep your core. You keep you keep guys like Andre Sveshnikov and, and Sebastian Ajo, and these guys are you know t two of the most well versed offensive talents in the NHL. 
So I don't think you can really ask for much more from what they're doing. Um, so, you know, very, very brief to start, but a uh, big Thursday night game against uh, against the, uh, the the Connor McDavid Oiler team. Um, we're, we're, tra- we're traveling out there to take them on to the undoubtedly best player in the entire world, McJesus, they call him. Anytime your nickname <laughs> has Jesus in it, you're probably pretty good. Um, so I'm pretty excited to see that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, 3-0 start, man, can't really ask for anything more. Um so, yeah, hopefully we can carry this momentum on and keep having a good year. I'm just glad hockey's back. I know Jake's kind of getting getting his feet wet a little bit, get, getting into it as we go. So uh, it'll, it'll be a fun year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As the season goes on, man, I'm going to start learning more and more. I'm not quite there yet to talk about it. Like, I'm not quite at the level where I can start discussing it too much, but I'm with you, man. Let's go. Let's go, Canes. Let's keep on kicking. You know, let's, let's prevent the goals. I like it. Sir. Yes, sir. Preventing goals. Okay, well, Atlanta Hawks. So, um, if you're listening to the podcast right now, timestamp 10:15 p.m. Uh, it's October 18th, 2022. Um, or you know, if you're just listening to it, us on the podcast side, this is Tuesday night. Um, basketball season's here. Basketball season has started already with the Philadelphia 76ers taking on the Boston Celtics, and later, a little bit later on, or actually right now, it's past 10. Um, the Golden State Warriors taking on the Los Angeles Lakers. So we have a couple big-time games today, but we're going to talk mostly about the Hawks on this podcast. Um, season starts on on October 19th, um, Wednesday, if you listen to this, or today if you listen to the podcast on your way to work. Uh, and we are going against Houston in Atlanta. If you know anything about basketball, the Houston Rockets are a very, very, very bad basketball team. It is probably one of the you know least talented rosters in Basketball, I want to say the spread is set at nine and a half going into it. I I, I want to say it's the last number I saw. So, you know, take it how you see it. Um, I'm pretty sure me and Kenny are both going to be watching this game. I know that it. we are all excited, Atlanta Hawks fans, because Trey Young finally has a number two. And this is no disrespect to John Collins and Clint Capella because they are both great basketball players. But when I, when I say a number two, I'm talking about somebody that can also have the ball in their hands and make plays with the ball in their hands. Clint Capella and John Collins are not those guys. Those are more guys that, you know, Trey Young, the point guard creates separation, finds an open man, and it happens to be John Collins, Clint Capella rolling to the basket. That, that's, more his, that's more of their games. DeJounte Murray is a guy that you can let dribble the ball down the floor, let create space, and let score the ball. Like, this is going to be such a big thing for Trey Young to have because it's going to take so much stress off Trey. We talk about Trey Young's defense. Everybody does. Everybody knows that Trey Young is not a good defender. It's not really a hidden thing. He's gotten a little bit better as his career has went on, but he's still not a great defender. But whenever you're somebody that has the workload Trey Young does on the offensive side of the basketball, you can't expect this guy to go on the defensive side of the basketball and just fly around the floor. That's not going to happen. Trey Young carries such a big weight for the Atlanta Hawks on the offensive side that he's not going to be able to give a thousand percent on the defensive side. I mean, I know you always say give 110%, you know, every single play, but realistically, basketball is one of those sports where you're running back and forth the whole game. It's not really possible. <laughs> that, that's not really how the game works. Um, so DeJounte is going to be able to take that, take, take a little bit of that load off. And, you know, another thing DeJounte gives is, is he's going to improve this defense a lot. Um, we lost Kevin Herter this offseason to a trade to Sacramento. Um, but DeJounte Murray is a better defender than Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter was a fun basketball player. And he was a good basketball player. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm rooting for Kevin and, you know, and uh, San, oh, I said San Antonio. Now I'm done, now my head's tripping. Sacramento. But, um, you know, this, this team is improved from last year with, with Kevin Herter being gone and we're adding DeJounte Murray. This is, this is an improvement. Um, 
I do want to mention, too, that uh, we did pay our small forward DeAndre Hunter. He gets a four-year, $95 million extension right before the deadline, by the way. There was a trade deadline extension, right? Not trade deadline. It was an extension deadline for guys that were ending their rookie contracts, and we clocked it in, like, right at the last second, which was interesting. Um, I don't know how you feel about this one, Kenny, but I, I have watched DeAndre Hunter play basketball for four seasons now, or three seasons, and... um. I like DeAndre. I think DeAndre is a good basketball player. Um, in the 2020-2021 season, we did see some really, really good spurts out of him before he got injured. He looked like he could potentially be that number two option on offense behind Trey Young. But then last year, he came back, and uh, he did not look particularly great. Um, talk about percentages. His percentages were his, his two-point percentage was down. He did shoot 38% last year from three, which is a key number because this. Hawks team, one thing you do lose whenever you lose Kevin Herter and get to Jonte Murray, you do lose the three-point shooting ability. Dejounte Murray is not a three-point shooter like Kevin, so having a guy like DeAndre that can shoot the three-ball is a big deal. But um, I can't say how I feel about this deal yet. I, I'll have to let this one play out. At the moment, right now, I will say this feels like an overpay. DeAndre Hunter is not at that level, but I think every single team in the league wants a six foot seven, six foot eight small forward that can play defense and can shoot the basketball. It's a very, very popular thing to have in basketball. So if he can kind of, you know, round out the small things in his game and take it to that next step, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to be much better than what he is. Like that money in the NBA is not superstar money. Like it, it is starter level money. So if DeAndre Hunter could just be a solid starter at the NBA level, this contract is going to be worth it. So I don't know how you feel about it, Kenny, but I was just going to give you some of my thoughts. No, and I like DeAndre Hunter too, and I I think you covered it pretty well there because you know it does feel like a slight overpay. I'll agree with you there. Um, one thing I do want to say though is it feels like, at least, to in my opinion as a Hawks fan, it feels like this contract was based about eighty five percent off of his defensive ability. Um, I, can, I agree. It, it feels like this Hawks team, man, uh, you talk about the Hawks and, and everything that they've been able to accomplish since Trey Young has come and turn into a Eastern Conference contender. Um, you, this is a team that made it to the finals that, you know, off of the very, very overcarried back of Trey Young. Um, and it was very clear early and often for the regular season and the postseason that defense was our Achilles heel. And when you have a guy like DeAndre Hunter who battled some injuries and you could really see that lack in defense come into play when he's not on the court, it, it really feels like this contract is to make the team a little bit more well-rounded for years to come. So I, I agree. I agree. It's a little bit of an, of an overpay right now. Hopefully he'll prove us wrong. Um, but I do like DeAndre Hunter. You mentioned it there with the three-point shooting ability. He's a pretty versatile player. He's a – I don't want to call him a playmaker, but, um, you know, in, in – all fairness on this Hawks team, he is, you know, one of the best playmakers on the team. Um, and then you bring in a guy like DeJounte Murray, where the the workload of Trey Young is kind of limited. The workload of everybody is a little bit more limited. You can spread the ball a little bit more, get the ball out of Trey's hands into somebody else's hands. And, uh, you know, DeJounte Murray, dude, I mean, whether you believe this or not, in my opinion, he's one of the best defenders in the NBA. Um so you stack a guy like this with DeAndre Hunter and head into the postseason against you, these teams that are carried by the number one and number two that's just torching you for, for four quarters. It feels like the defense is a lot more well-rounded. The offense, um, you lose Kevin Herter, you lose that three-point shooting ability that you had in the past, but you make up a little bit on the back end with the defense. So 
Um, I don't know. A little bit of, of an overpay, sure. Um, but I do like DeAndre Hunter. I have a lot of faith in him and optimism that he's going to be a really good player for this Hawks team. Um, but, yeah, I, I kind of feel like that, that defensive ability is really what kind of gave the Hawks the premise to offer him this contract. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, we watched DeAndre play, and the upside is there. Like, I, th- I think everybody knows the potentials there offensively and defensively. I still think that he has work to do on both sides. Um, I know he's not the best rebounder right now, which is kind of a intriguing thing to look at with somebody that his size, not really grabbing boards. And I know he's he plays a small forward spot. He also can go down to the power forward spot and a little bit of like small ball roles where we see John Collins hop over to the center just to give Clint a little bit of time off the floor. Um, and offensively, talk about it, man. When his shot's on, his shot is on. Like DeAndre Hunter can make the, make a basket from anywhere on the floor. He can pull up from the mid range. He can shoot the three ball. Like he can do, he can pretty much play all around basketball. And I think what the Hawks are doing right here is if DeAndre Hunter can get closer to like a 17 point per game score, this contract, he, he would go into next season. He would go into the off season getting way more money than this. But right here, the Hawks take all the risks. DeAndre Hunter has no risk right here. He is, he's locked in now. Like he, he has, he has life changing money at this very moment where the Hawks, you know, if DeAndre Hunter does decline and he's a guy that, you know, falls out of the starting spot two years from now, then you're going to be paying him, you know, starter level money and he's not a starter anymore. So it's kind of one of those things where you kind of have to look at it both ways. Um, but it is a very interesting thing. And I, like we just mentioned, we're going to root for DeAndre Hunter to be great. Like, I don't really, you know, worry too much about money. That's not really a fan's job to do. That is more front office wise. And also something to pay attention to. Um, Salary cap keeps going up in the NBA. Every single year, the salary cap rises. So by the time this contract ends, it will not look nearly as bad as what it does right now. So that is also something to kind of keep track of. Like we look at John Collins now, um, whenever he signed that max deal like two years ago, whenever his contract is up, it's going to be very, very cheap compared to what the salary cap should be for a guy like John Collins. So hopefully we'll kind of get the same thing out of um, DeAndre Hunter, which I'm not going to say DeAndre Hunter is anywhere the type of player John Collins is. John Collins is legit like a top 50 player in basketball. And, you know, DeAndre Hunter is more of like a fringe top 100 player. So it's kind of like an interesting thing to see if he can take that step to like a top 75, maybe get in that top 50 range somewhere. But um, as of right now, all we, all we can do as Hawks fans is just root for him. And, you know, in leagues where salary cap is a thing, you know, screw owners. Because the only thing that it does if you go over the salary cap is just hurt the owner's pockets. And some owners don't really like to hurt their own pockets very much. Yeah, and I was actually just looking it up, too, while you were talking. Um, last year, the Hawks were the fourth worst in the NBA in defensive efficiency, and DeJounte Murray is top 15 in defensive rating. So I think you bring in, a, bring in a guy like DeJounte Murray to this Hawks team, obviously fourth worst defensive efficient team in the NBA is putrid. Um, especially on a team that is trying to make playoff runs. Yes. So uh, you bring in a guy like that, man, and it really – you talk about taking the load off Trey Young on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, I think it might be a little bit unnoticed or undernoticed of how much of the load is being taken off of DeAndre Hunter on the def- defensive side of the ball. Oh, yeah. I mean, we talk about a starting lineup that's Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and Clint Capella. Like, you can you – can, this might be a little biased. I will say this. This might be a little biased. You can give me that top five almost against almost any top five in the in the NBA, and I can make an argument that that might be one of the best top fives in basketball. Then we go on, then we go on the offseason. We add the Holiday brothers with Aaron Holiday uh, and Justin Holiday. Um, we talk about Bogey. I know Bogey's hurt right now. He will be missing, you know, a little bit of time to start the year. He's had a little bit of a nagging knee injury that's kind of been bothering him for the past year or so. 
Um, we talk about Bogey when he gets on the floor. He, we all know what Bogey can do, man. If 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 that hand gets hot, Bogey can toss anything in from three point range. Like he he is like I swear his heat checks are like Kyle Korver level. Where he'll just go down the floor and make four in a row on you. Like if, whenever he's hot, Bogey is a lot of fun to watch. And then we take it to the bigs on the bench, man. We talk about Nyeko Kongwu. We talk about you know second year guy Jalen Johnson. Um, these guys are both legit talents. Like Nyeko Kongwu would be a starter on majority of NBA teams at the center position. The only reason he's not is because we have Clint Capella. Like, and Jalen Johnson is almost, I'm not going to say this, because I, I do have to watch him more. He's not really a guy we've seen too much of, so I'm, that makes me kind of excited to see him, you know, go into it. We did draft him kind of, I think we drafted him like 19th overall when he was a guy that was projected to go in the lottery. Um, but from what I have seen of him, his game kind of resembles John Collins in the aspect, like, his athleticism is, is insane. But the only difference is that he can dribble the ball down the floor, which is kind of crazy. It's kind of something that Hawks fans haven't really seen a six foot ten guy get the rebound and dribble all the way to the three point line on the opposite side of the field and kind of facilitate on offense, which is, is which is cool to see. So I'm sure that we have a lot of things to look forward to as Hawks fans, man. This season is going to be a ton of fun. And you know, the East is tough, don't get me wrong, but I, I I just mentioned it, man. I think this Hawks team has what it takes to beat almost anybody on any given night. This roster looks amazing. This is the best Hawks roster we've seen in my lifetime. So, yeah, and it Trey Young. This is the best player that Trey Young has ever played played with. Dejounte Murray is the best player Trey Young has ever had. I love John. John is my dude. Like I don't know if you'll find a, a bigger John Collins fan than me. Like I I see people talk about John's numbers. Maybe they went down a little bit last year, which you know is okay. His his work is a fit. You know. It wasn't because his efficiency wasn't there. He just wasn't shooting the ball as much. If John Collins was to shoot the ball more, he would be a 25-point-per-game scorer, if, you know, if, that, if that's what the offense you know, game planned for. But DeJounte Murray is an all-star. This is a guy that has made an all-star team. And we've always talked about getting Trey Young, that all-star, to go beside him. And maybe it's not your you know, Donovan Mitchell or your Jalen Brown that everybody you know, was hoping for. But this dude is, like, he almost averaged a triple-double last year with San Antonio. He was their whole team. Like, he was San Antonio's whole team. They are done now without him. So, this guy is, I know he was playing in San Antonio, and they weren't getting too much hype last year. They're not your typical hype boy teams that everybody turns on whenever they see it on TNT and stuff. But just wait till you watch this guy play, because he is going to surprise. I'm, I think he's going to actually outperform what a lot of people expect in Atlanta. I agree 100%, dude. I'm so excited to see this Hawks team play, and uh, DeJounte has been very well received by Hawks fans. And I do have one little last keynote, and it's something I already did mention. Uh, I mentioned Bogdanovich's uh, – oh, my God, that sounded weird when I said it. I said it right, though. I don't know how come that just felt like it was it was wrong. Bogey's uh, injury, his knee injury, he will be out on Wednesday. I think that's as far as they've announced, but I do expect him to be out, you know, the first, you know, couple weeks. Not Maybe, maybe not weeks, but – he will be out for a little bit, and I'm sure when he comes back, he will be kind of, uh, you know, limited a little bit. So I'm, I'm assuming taking his place at that, uh, you know, shooting guard position on the bench, we might run a nine-man rotation and let Dejounte just run the backup point guard spot and kind of flip him and Trey's minutes a little bit, and let Aaron Holiday run that two a little bit, Justin Holiday run the three, um, and that leaves you Jalen Johnson and Yeko Kongwu at the at the big spots off the bench. Or we might see rookie A.J. Griffin get some play time, which would be awesome because I watched him a little bit in preseason. This guy can shoot the basketball. Like, he is a lights-out shooter. So, you know, I I'm curious to see how the rotation looks tomorrow. Nate McMillan's a guy that's kind of known for not trusting young players. He's more of like a defensive-minded guy. And typically in the NBA, 
rookies are not good on defense. That's just a known thing. They might be good offensively, but there's almost no rookies in basketball that are good defensively. So I, I'm kind of curious to see to see how that works. Dude, I like Nate a lot. I, I do. I do like Nate too. I I'm hoping that he can kind of get it put together this year because I kind of have a fear that if the Hawks, you know, after last year, after making the play in game and all that stuff last year. I think that he has to do something pretty drastic this year to keep his job. Like, I, th- I think that we, we need to be like a cemented playoff team, not have to play in the play in, like, you know, go somewhere for him to stay in Atlanta. But I do like, uh, I do like his, how he's doing things. Like he took over a Lloyd Pierce team. That was a bad basketball team and took us to the Eastern conference finals. So let's not forget that. Like this is Brian Snicker asking what this guy did with this team. This is a guy that not a lot of people expected to hang out, to hang around as long as he has. Um, kind of felt like he was going to be an interim-type situation fill-in guy, and he kind of earned a spot, man. So, uh, you know, I like him. It's kind of a Cinderella story, so to speak, but um, you can't ask for a better a, a better coaching personality. The dude, dude's great. He seems like he's got a great personality. He's, you know, really good in the locker room. Team loves him. So, um, you know, obviously you got to get – Got to get your wins up, make a couple runs, and prove to everybody that that you're the guy. But um, you know, as far as just him personally, I'm a big fan of this dude. Yeah, and I I think everybody in the locker room is too. I think that I love Trey Young. Trey Young is my dude. He's my favorite basketball player. But he does kind of seem like a little bit of a pain to deal with sometimes from locker room stuff that I've seen. Like I know whenever I know whenever Lloyd was here, I want I think it was Trey Young, John Collins, and Cam Reddish all requested that he was fired, <laughs> which is kind of funny. <laughs> but uh. I haven't heard anything like that too much from Nate, which is which is a good thing. So I, I think that the relationship's kind of there. I think that there was some media drama that kind of tried to bring up like some drama between Trey and Nate last year, and Trey kind of shot it down in a press conference. They were like, "Yeah, there's nothing going on here. Like y'all are just trying to make stuff from nothing." So it is it is really good to see. I, I do like Nate McMillan. He's he's a guy. He's been around for a long time. So you know, with the young roster like this Hawks team, um, I, I would like to see him. You know, keep on getting some shots with us. I agree, hundred percent. All right, Kenny. Well, that finishes up Hawks talk. Um, so we've got we've done Braves, we've done Kane. Oh, I about just died. Um, we've done Braves, Canes, and Hawks. Do you want to kick us off into some Georgia football? Is it yes, finally that time? Yes. It is that time. It is that time, Dog Nation. We say it every week, but it's time to talk about the Georgia Bulldogs. Bulldogs, what? We had a couple weeks there where it felt like, what's going on? You know, the team looks weird. The guy, guys are – Lad McConkey's dropping balls. Stets missing throws. Todd Munkin's not calling the best games. What is going on? And then you come into a week against a sleeper Vandy team. I use the word sleeper there because I want to tell you that this Vanderbilt team is much better than anyone expected them to be. And I know it's Vandy, man. It's Vandy. You're going to talk about Vandy every year. Why are they in the SEC? Why are they – out here playing these teams week after week. And I agree. Yeah, I mean, you know, Vandy, this is by no means an SEC caliber team. But with that being said, this team is a lot better than people give credit. And, you know, they're pretty good at the quarterback position. They're really, really good in the wide receiver room. Um, So it kind of gave us a pretty good look for, you know, this Georgia defense to recover off of a couple couple doo-doo outings, it kind of seemed like, in the past couple weeks. So, um... And let's get to it, man. The dogs lined up this week against the Vanderbilt Commodores in a 55 to nothing route of this team. This was an absolute bloodbath on any way you look at it. Let's look at the team stats here. 
Georgia, 579 total yards of offense. We limited Vandy to 150 yards of total offense. That is sheer domination, boys and girls. That is what you call putting your big boy pants on, lining up against a guy in front of you and saying, hey, you see all 11 of us? We are better than all 11 of you. And running it down their throat on offense and bowing your back on defense and saying, yeah, bud, you're not doing jack against us. Um, Big key thing for me in this game, time of possession. This Georgia team controlled the ball for 39 minutes in this game. Sheer domination in that point as well. Um, turnovers, zero turnovers in this game. Let's give a hand to our boys. Thank you, dogs. Boy, the turnover bug has been killing us lately. You see the inflated numbers against Missouri and Kent State, and people want to say, this Georgia defense isn't that good. This Georgia defense is a little bit worse than we expected. They lose all these teams. They're starting to catch up to us. Look, you lose players to the draft, and you're, you've got to you, – say reload lightly and you teams like georgia and alabama say oh we we're gonna reload it, it's not a rebuild it's a reload we're gonna retool we're gonna bring guys out there this georgia team has absolutely been able to do that and do it very successfully don't get me wrong man these defensive numbers are so inflated because the turnovers have killed us five turnovers in two weeks we we talked about in the in the last podcast these turnovers, man, I mean, we're given, when you give a team, it doesn't matter if you're playing Kent State, it doesn't matter if you're playing the Citadel, it don't matter if you're playing Alabama. When you give another team the ball at anywhere near midfield, you're not going to be able to keep them off the board the entire game. That's just not a realistic thing. So you go into a Vandy game, don't give up any turnovers. I mean, that is a huge, huge, huge for this Georgia team, man. So that was amazing. Uh, punts, we punted the ball one time. One time. Um, and then, you know, we'll talk about the player stats too. But before I dive into these player stats, man, I want to go ahead and say Carson Beck. He's a guy. You talk about garbage time. I understand. You coming out there and playing against these teams. Let's talk about one thing in football, man. Football is a little bit different, especially in college. In the NFL, it's a little it's 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 a whole new tier. You don't see a lot of blowouts in the NFL, and when you do, teams get very, very conservative. That's something that we've seen from Kirby in the past. Boy, has he changed his mentality. Here's the thing about college ball, man. You've got all these young guys coming in. You've got to get them reps. There's, you can practice as much as you want to. These guys practice every week. They're running scout team. They go through spring practice, summer practice, their workouts, everything. They're getting all these reps. Nothing amounts to actual game reps. When you're actually seeing game time, that's what helps these players develop. So when you're up you know, 40 points against a Vandy team, it doesn't make your team any better by going out there and just playing conservative ball and just running the clock out. And it doesn't make Vandy any better because Vandy's got to get their guys in two on defense. Like, you know, what does it help you as a Vandy team to put in these young defensive backs if they're not going to see any passes? Like, that doesn't help you whatsoever. So it's a little bit different in college football. But Carson Beck comes out there 8 for 11, 98 yards and two tuds. One thing I want to say about Carson Beck, stat line looks amazing. His size is incredible. His demeanor is incredible. His pocket presence is elite this guy steps back there man i saw him multiple times go down check to his second third read and throw absolute darts one thing about carson beck i was not super aware of this dude's got one percent arm talent like, yes. this guy's got an absolute hose and he proved it so man georgia fans stetson bennett is an abs is a uj legend an absolute stud we love stet around here he had a, a hell of a game as well 
but we're in good hands with Mr. Carson Beck. So um, I've ranted a little bit and rambled on about this amazing game that, that the dogs came out there and displayed against Vandy. So, Jake, before we dive into some player stats, why don't you kind of give your summation of how this game went? Um, you, you covered it very well, Kenny. Um, we talked about the offense. Offense really found its stride, not only against Vanderbilt, but also, you know, go back two weeks ago to Auburn. The offense has been rolling. We went into the Auburn game. I know it's been a while since we did a podcast. So we went to the Auburn game talking about two big key things, limiting turnovers and converting touchdowns in the red zone. And Georgia has scored 97 points in the past two weeks. You want to know how many points came from field goals? Six. We have kicked two field goals in the past past two weeks. We did turn over the ball once against Auburn. We had no turnovers against Vanderbilt, so that is a very, very good thing. Um, We talked about Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett is looking good again. He has found his efficiency. He had a very, very efficient game against Vanderbilt, which is good because Stetson, whenever he is rolling and he's putting the ball in the money, Stetson is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. We talked about it. At the, at the beginning of the season, I know we had a couple of little down weeks there, but we're not off that train just yet, guys. We're back on it. Go ahead and toot the horns right quick. Toot, toot. We're here. Um, defense. I was quoted in talking to some people going into this Vanderbilt game, saying that it is Vanderbilt potentially has the second best offense that Georgia has faced this season. Potential. Potential. Georgia has not quite faced a super dominant offense right this season outside of Oregon. I think that is a known fact. We can go to Missouri. We can go to Auburn. We can go to Kent State. I mean, we can go to South Carolina. Like, we've played, we played teams. This Vanderbilt offense might be the second best offense we played. And they had zero points. And I, I know that might be a little controversial, but the reason I'm going to say that is because they, I think that they have the second best quarterback that we have played this season Bo Nix you might be better than AJ Swan I don't I don't know you know how how much better you also have a lot of talent around you but AJ Swan is a guy like let's let's not forget this kid ever since ever since taking over for Mike Wright this guy has been putting up numbers man like eight touchdowns no interceptions a thousand yards like he had some really really good numbers and we kept him in check he had a little bit over 100 yards like this is a game that we expect to see from this Georgia defense and they showed out um and man you mentioned Carson Beck man I have a note right here and it says is Carson Beck the next great UGA quarterback (laughs) that is my note um the sad thing the sad thing is we'll probably only get one year of Carson Beck because he will come start next year under Todd Munkin and if Todd Munkin doesn't get a head coaching job somewhere hopefully but we're gonna hope that Todd Munkin stays around sticks around with us but um he is going to come in next year no matter who the offensive coordinator is and he is going to fire the ball around, and he is going to be a first-round pick in the 2024 NFL Draft. That, that is what's going to happen. I promise you guys that. After seeing how he performed against Vanderbilt, he had one throw that I, I want to note, where he, and it was, it was an incomplete pass. I will say this. He strolled right, found Kiaris Jackson in one of the tightest windows I've ever seen on the move to his right. And the only reason this pass was incomplete is because Kiaris Jackson did not get his feet in bounds. It was in the end zone. It was one of the best balls I've ever seen, like from a guy that is playing garbage time minutes in a game like this. Like this dude, you mentioned it, Kenny, 1% arm talent. Holy cow, am I impressed with him. And this like, I'm going to say this. We've been on this train. This is a guy that's been sitting in the system for, for two plus years now. Like he is, he's been here and he will be the next starting quarterback at the University of Georgia. It's going to happen. 
Brock Vandergriff, transfer out of here, buddy. Um, Gunnar Stockton, go ahead and wait your turn because you will you you might be next on the on the on the chopping block or not chopping block, but you might be next in in this system of quarterbacks we have rolling around. Um, but you know any of these guys here, Brock and Gunner, don't be expecting to start next year, buds, because Carson Beck has that job about as cemented as you can have it right now at the college football level. Unless Caleb Williams decides to leave USC and transfer again to UGA, Carson Beck's probably going to be that guy. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think after seeing yesterday, man, that looked that looked like Matthew Stafford tossing the pigskin around at UGA. Like that was, not yes, I said yesterday, but this past weekend. That was crazy. I, I love to see it, man. And I want to mention, too, Jake, you talked about Vandy being potentially the second-best offense that we face this year. I agree. You talk about A.J. being one of the best, second-best, potentially, quarterback that we face this year. I agree. This is somebody that not a lot of people know about. Will Shepard, this wide receiver yes, one for the Vanderbilt Commodores team. This is the best wide receiver we faced all year. I can agree. This is probably a top-five wide receiver in the SEC and pure talent. Um, this dude's a junior. He's 6'3", 200 pounds. He's got 500, 500 receiving yards and eight touchdowns so far this year um, on a Vandy team that is not producing numbers like you would expect. Uh, if this guy is on any other team in the SEC, he's being talked about as a top draft prospect. Will Shepard is an absolute stud. And we needed to see something like that because we really hadn't seen a, a top-tier X receiver come in. And you talk about, you know, guys, the team, you always talk about don't look ahead. Don't look ahead. We're a sports podcast. Us looking ahead has no effect on this UJ team. Mm-mm. So, Jake, we can look ahead as much as we want to. Oh, yeah. But we've, we've got kind of a gauntlet schedule coming up here pretty soon. We, yes. we get a big bye week this year, and then we head into some really, really big games with Florida, and then obviously the big one circled on everybody's schedule is that Tennessee game, where we're going to face top talent. I know that Florida team's not great. They're not great. They're a bad football team. But Florida has some really, really good athletes on that team. Um, it's like Auburn. Auburn's got some really good athletes on the team, but the wide receiver room lacks a little bit. So um, seeing a guy like this is going to be really big for us, um, and, and I think that kind of gives us a little bit of a better look moving forward. So Will Shepard, um, the dude's an absolute unit. If you're not familiar with this guy, you need to because he is a monster. Yeah, he is an absolute stud. And we talk about it you know, with guys like um, Keely Ringo and obviously um, – and why is his name skipping my mind? Uh, Kamari Laster. Laster. Um, we talk about those guys. And, you know, our last podcast, we had mentioned the Missouri game. And I think we were both kind of disappointed with their performances. These past two weeks, things have changed. Yeah. These have looked like different players these past two weeks. Keely Ringo is back to top-tier cornerback status in college football. First-round draft pick in this coming-up draft. Like, he is, he is back at that caliber. Keely Ringo is that dude. And Kamari Laster, man, I'm a guy that has talked down on Kamari Laster throughout the whole year. I have seen a lot of improvements. And like we mentioned with this, you know, big time wide receiver, Will Shepard and quarterback like A.J. Swan. Whenever you allow A.J. Swan to have 105 yards passing, um, that's a good thing. That is a good thing, because like I had mentioned, this Vanderbilt offense is not a bad offense. This is a rather deep. This is actually a pretty decent offense. So. You mentioned the total. You mentioned the total total uh, yards they had. I don't have it in front of me, but I know you mentioned it earlier. 50. What is it? 
150. 150 total yards, and then a quarterback barely hitting over 100 yards when he played the whole game at quarterback. This is his For those word of Will Shepard. Yes, yes, exactly. This is a uh, really, really big outing for this this Georgia defense. I, I know we talk about Auburn. I don't think anybody expected uh, Auburn and their, you know, their crazy quarterback that has the anger management problems that to to come out here and absolutely torch us. But this was a team. This was a team that I didn't think was going to beat us, but I did think have had a shot maybe to put up, you know, a, maybe maybe a touchdown or two if we played around, and we definitely did not allow that to happen. And you talk about the defense, man. Uh, several guys, and this is kind of getting more into the player stat side of things. Several guys had big games. Uh, Chris Smith, amazing game by him. Kelly Ringo, we, you just mentioned, had an amazing game. JDJ continues to impress. Yep. Um, and then you see guys like Tyke Smith getting get a little bit more PT, and that's really going to be big because looking ahead here, headed up to a game like Tennessee, um, we're going to see this Georgia defense look a little bit different, run a little bit more nickel. Um, you're going to get some more guys out there uh, in, in the defensive backfield. Um, so you're going to see times on defense where you, you're probably going to see Chris Smith, Malachi Starks, Tyke Smith out there. You're going to see Jan Jackson get in there and work in a little bit. Um, so really good to see guys like that get a little bit of playing time and really, really have some solid production. Um, so, yeah, man, the defense as a whole played really, really good. But I, I want to talk about this offense a little bit, Jake. Yeah. Um, I just mentioned it a little bit ago, 579 total yards of offense, 387 through the air, 192 on the ground, averaged 7.3 yards per play. Um, Stetson Bennett, 24 for 30, 289 and two tuds. And then rushing, Dejon Edwards. This dude has continued to impress us, man. This he, he's, he's great, man. It's crazy because you talk about this running back room. We bring in a guy like Branson Robinson, who people are, are already calling the next Nick Chubb. You got obviously Kenny Mack, Kendall Milton, who's dealing with the injury, and then Dejon Edwards is kind of the wild card here because you heard so much positivity coming out of his game throughout camp and throughout summer practices saying that this guy might be the best running back on the team. And we're like, what? What are you talking about? And, dude, I mean, he's not proven, he's not proven those people wrong right now. I mean, Dejon Edwards, 10 carries, 49 yards, and a touchdown, led the team in carries. Uh, we're running the ball all over the place right now giving several guys touches. You see Branson Robinson come out there with eight carries. Kenny Mack with nine carries. I just mentioned Dejon with ten. Um, I mean, this 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 running game right now is just we can do whatever we want, um, and we really did whatever we want in all aspects of the offense against Vandy. Let's talk about this receiving room a little bit. Um, two guys. Well, three guys, I'll say. Hell, there's four guys. Um, <laughs> number one for me, Big O. Oh, come on, man. Dar Darnell Washington, dude. This dude is nuts. Like, he has worked his way into a first-round prospect yes. on almost everyone's draft boards. This guy could be a first-round draft pick based off of his blocking ability alone. And then you take into, effect, uh, take into effect his... I mean, he's fast. He's massive. He's got hands of steel. Stetson loves this guy. They've kind of dialed it in a little bit more. We talk about don't overthrow Darnell, don't overthrow Darnell. Well, he didn't in this game. Four receptions for 78 yards. Um, and then another guy, Dylan Bell. Um, Dylan Bell, I think, is a huge impact player for this Georgia team because this bye week is so big because we've talked about injuries on the podcast in the past. 
Um, we've got a lot of guys that need to come back. A.D. Mitchell. This Georgia team has been struggling out wide because we don't have that true X receiver. Been running a lot of bunch packages, getting Brock out wide, getting the ball to Ladd in the middle of the field. We really need A.D. to come back and spread that field a little bit. And I think when A.D. comes back, Dylan Bell's numbers might get better. Because when A.D. comes back, you're going to see A.D. split out wide, Dylan Bell and Ladd right there in the middle of the field. Um, I've been very, very impressed with Dylan Bell. Huge game from him. Comes out with this touchdown catch. Um, Ladd McConkey, um, not the flashiest game, but you watch Ladd play, and uh, it, it seems like he, he's got himself back together. Yes. So glad to see that from Ladd. And then my last point here in the receiving game, Don Blaylock. Don Blaylock, let's go. Dude, I've been on this guy's wagon all year long. I've been talking about him in the podcast, how huge this guy has been for us in the past. He's not going to kill you on the box score. He's not going to look like he's out there torching defenses. But this is the guy, when you need a play, you go to him. The third and eight touchdown toe-tap catch was amazing. Um, Don Blaylock, this is a guy that's going to work his way in this rotation, even when AD comes back and he's going to see significant playing time. And it's going to give us the depth. It's going to give us the the ability to rotate fresh legs in there. Um, When you have a guy like Don Blaylock that you can work in, it is so, so important. So I'm very, very excited about those guys. And you said that perfect, man. We talk about Darnell. Darnell is a freak of nature, man. If, If you're not paying more attention to this guy, then, you know, open your eyes, man. This guy is going to make serious money at the next level. Like you mentioned, first-round pick. You can't tell me these teams that are, like, that are going to be holding late first-rounders that already have loaded rosters and could just add somebody, anybody they want to. They could pick any position, just the most talented player on the board. Or You're trying to tell me they're going to pass on a guy like Darnell? Like, that's that's not going to happen. Like, he's going to make money. Dylan Bell is a guy that you mentioned that, at the beginning of the season, I was not the happiest to see him, you know, be getting play time out there out wide. Um, but as the season went on, he has improved drastically. He looks great. And as a true freshman, man, you can that you can only be happy for it, man. It it is awesome. And you know, you look at you look to the future. This is gonna be a guy that, you know, another another young guy that we just have for years. You know, Georgia's in rebuild mode. We were in rebuild mode last year and we still won a national championship. Sorry about that, Nick Saban. Like you said, you're yeah. in rebuild mode. We had three true freshmen score touchdowns on you in the second half alone, buddy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh how you like them apples? Yeah, how you like them apples? Um, Lad McConkey, um, he has become Mister Consistency at the University of Georgia. You know what you're gonna get out of Lad every week. I know we had those couple weeks where he kind of, you know, was having was a little bit off. But outside of those couple games, the past two years, Lad McConkey's just that dude. Like I think that's the best way to describe him. He is that dude out there that is going to haul in a couple catches for some yards and always going to be on the field doing what he does. Lad McConkey is a great player. Um, and then Don Blaylock, man. If you're a Georgia fan, you can only be happy for this guy, man. Outside of performance, which he, is, he has done great since coming back, you can only be happy for him, man. This is a guy that has struggled with injuries throughout his, how his level. Obviously, he was a very, very big recruit coming to Georgia. And, you know, to actually see him get on the field and make some plays for this Georgia offense has been huge, man. I... I love Don Blaylock. I know you really love Don Blaylock. So hopefully as the season goes on, you know, we get AD back. Like you mentioned, some of these guys' numbers might improve. Like AD is going to draw a lot of attention. AD is the best wide receiver on this football team. So the guys that are two and three, yeah, y'all might be getting a lot more open here soon because when that dude comes back and he starts catching, you know, those little 10-yard fade routes in the end zone right on top of DB's heads, 
they're probably going to become a lot more worried about him than they are about you. So get ready for a lot of red zone targets some tuds, you know, a lot of exciting things coming forward for some Georgia football. And also I want to mention, this is a game that we just played and we beat Vanderbilt 55 to nothing. And we were missing three of our top 10 players on this team. Arguably two of the top three or four players on this team. When you talk about Jalen Carter and A.D. Mitchell. And then yeah. you add a guy like Kendall Milton, who obviously is, is a very, very big part of this offense when he is playing, and he's not also not playing. But we mentioned the running back room. We mentioned the wide receiver room. We have guys that can come in and take those positions and fill them rather well, like a guy like Dejon Edwards, who might be the number one running back even when Kendall Milton's healthy when it comes to just you know pure carries and getting the ball in his hands straight off handoffs. So you know, this it's it's a very exciting time to look forward. And, you know, I don't want to dig too much into, like, coming up time because we do have a bye week next week, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about it, you know. Oh, yeah. Tomorrow, or not tomorrow, Thursday, and uh, next week throughout, you know, our podcasting stuff. But, um, yeah, we have a lot of stuff to look forward to. And Georgia fans, them dogs are back. Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself, Jake. And that's that is really what this bye week is going to be all about, is getting these key players healthy. Um, it is a much needed bye week, and it came at a perfect time because we're at that kind of midseason point right now to where things are really going to ramp up into SEC play. We're going to see some a lot better teams that we've seen this year so far. So yes. getting these guys back, getting them healthy and back in the lineup is, is going to be huge for us. So, um, yeah, we'll dive more into this on Thursday's show and next week's show as we talk about, um, you know, the team leading up to this Florida game and the rest of the year. So, uh, But, yeah, man, dogs are back. Absolute massive win this week against Vandy, and um, let's keep it rolling. Let's keep it rolling. Um, Kenny, is there anything else you want to talk about at this level, at this point right here? I do have one more. Th- I do have the cons I want to get into a little bit, but is there anything you want to talk about here? Um, yeah, I guess before we dive into the Falcons, let's talk about the AP poll and kind of where we stand. Okay. Um, big shakeup this week. Everybody's talking about it. Um, Tennessee Volunteers take on Alabama at home and beat them. Um, what was the final score? 98 to 96. Yeah, it was, um, almost, it was pretty wild. <laughs> felt like it. So a lot, a lot of offense, very little defense. Um, so that game was crazy. So now as we're looking at, let's look at uh, the, the top 10 of what we're looking like right now. Um, obviously, Georgia sitting at number one, top of the leaderboard, top of the pedestal right now. Ohio State. Sitting right there at number two, six and zero. Tennessee has moved up from six to three after beating Bama at six and zero. Right there, uh, Michigan sitting tight right here, rounding out the top four and five. They jump Clemson and move up into the playoff spot at four, seven and zero in the Big Ten. Obviously, Clemson is still undefeated right there at the number five spot, and we see Alabama move down to six after the loss at Tennessee. Um, and looking at the points and the voting and how everything is structured, it's a pretty slim margin between six, seven, and eight. Um, you see Alabama at six, undefeated Ole Miss at seven, and undefeated TCU at eight. These three teams are neck and neck right here at the six, seven, and eight spot. And that rounds out the top ten at UCLA at nine and Oregon at ten. Um, these are very, very good football teams. We're going to see this top ten shake up a little bit more this week. Obviously, Georgia with the bye week, but we got some big ball coming up to where you could see some some big changes. Um, but, yeah, the big one here is obviously Tennessee getting a huge win over Alabama at home, um, tearing down the goalposts and then setting up a GoFundMe to reimburse the football program. 
Um, that that was a little questionable for me. But obviously, we're a Georgia podcast, so uh, anytime we get to talk negatively about Tennessee, we will take it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I do want to mention, too, because I was, I was looking at this AP poll, and it kind of surprised me. Um, I, I, I can't say I understand, Kenny, and may, maybe you can help me out with this a little bit. Alabama was the third-ranked team going into last week's game. Tennessee was the sixth-ranked team, or was it six or seven? I, 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 I don't care. We ain't got to look it up. They, I want to say they were maybe eight. Hell, they were somewhere in that range um, going into the game. Michigan goes out, and Michigan absolutely dogs number 10 Penn State. I can't say I agree with Tennessee jumping Michigan. Yeah. Maybe I can get Clemson. Clemson did, did have like a one-possession game against Florida State, which, which is pretty intriguing. I was expecting Tennessee to sit around four or five. I definitely did not expect them to jump Michigan. I don't. I do think that Michigan still deserves to have that to be up at that third spot because of how well they played. Um, I I, I can't say I'm the huge the biggest fan of of how this thing worked out. And I guess you know AP poll doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, none of this stuff really matters right now. Whenever we start getting the college football playoff stuff, that's whenever stuff will actually matter. But it is kind of an interesting thing to me. I guess, you know, you get 15 first place votes. It kind of does help out some. Also, I don't know what those people are voting for. Like, you beat the number three Ooh, team either. in the country. How do you become the number one team in the country? Like, <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. But, um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead with your with yourselves, voters. Uh, keep on riding Alabama's high and be like, okay, oh, Tennessee just beat Alabama. They got to be the best, right? Yeah, I mean, the only reason they made that jump is because of who they beat, and they beat Alabama. And don't get me wrong, Alabama is an amazing football team. And if you were to sit here and ask me, I would tell you, I think Alabama is a better football team than Tennessee. Um, I think Alabama's dealing with some injuries, dealing with some crazy things. Uh, you talk about this game as a whole, man. 130 penalty yards for Alabama. 17 penalties for 130 yards. I mean, that's almost a touchdown and a half that you're giving Tennessee in this game, just off of penalties alone. Mm-hmm. Um Dude, that's nuts. That is absolutely nuts. And it's crazy. I was actually texting Jake about this. It's crazy to see an undisciplined Alabama team because it feels like we've never seen it before. Um, So, you know, and and I get a little bit what the voters are thinking, I guess. Not the first place votes. That's, That's absolutely absurd. But moving them up to three, I guess you look at it from the perspective of they just beat Alabama. And Alabama is Alabama. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they're not. But this Alabama team is not the third best team in the country. Um, they might be one of the years said and done. I'm not going to say it, they're not. But as of right now, from what we've seen, they do not look like the third best team in the country. So while Tennessee did beat number three, um, you look at a team like Michigan and, and Hellman, even a team like Clemson, like these teams have been buzzing lately. And Ohio State obviously is very well deserving of number two right now. Yes. But um, I, I'm not sure that I would put Alabama over either two, either of those teams um, as of where we stand right now. So I guess that's what they were thinking, but I agree with you. It was a little questionable. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, I got audio playing. I'm so sorry, podcast people or YouTube people had some audio playing. It's my fault. Dude, Michigan went out and just destroyed Penn State. Like, it, it, was, it, it, was, it was kind of competitive near the start, um, but – it got ran away with quick. They ran the ball all over Penn State, and Penn State is not a bad defense at all. So, I, it, it's kind of like a little gripe for me. And like I said, it doesn't really matter. Like it, at the end of the day, who cares? Um, we still got a lot of weeks of college football left to play, and a lot of things to shake up before things really, really matter. And you know, just looking forward to it. Um, 
But yeah, it was an interesting thing to see that. That, that. I just wanted to throw out my little point on that. No, no, that's fair. And I mean, you're looking at where Tennessee sits right now at number three. I mean, this is obviously going to shake up because they got to come to Athens and take on the dogs. You're going to get number one versus number three in two weeks, which is going to be nuts. Um, so yeah, man, this thing's going to change tremendously week by week. So um, it really doesn't matter that much, but you know, that's where we stand right now. AP viewers. Yeah. Um, Tennessee fans need to start rooting for some teams to lose. That is what Tennessee fans need to start rooting for because if teams lose, I will say this if teams, if some of these teams lose a little TCU loss action, a little UCLA loss action, a little Oregon loss action. I do think Ole Miss is going to lose along the way at some point. I think they're playing a little bit above their heads right now. Um, that almost opens up a door for Tennessee to be a one loss non conference playing, non conference championship playing team to make the playoff, to swoop their way right on in there, to be ranked five right before all those conference championship games get played. And then either Michigan or Ohio State, they're going to probably play each other and one of them lose and fall out. And Tennessee just plops their way right on in there. Boop. Yep. So it, it, is, it is something to kind of. That is a very intriguing thing to pay attention to. I was talking to uh, Cortez today. If anybody knows, we have a we have a good friend, Cortez McDowell. He played linebacker at Tennessee, so obviously he's a he's a big Tennessee fan. And he was telling me he was like, "Yeah, man, now I'm nervous about UT Martin." Like, <laughs> it, it was it was it was kind of funny talking to him about about all the stuff that was going on with that. So it was uh, it was it was it was interesting. Yeah, dude, this thing's gonna be crazy. They could pull pull a was it 2000, 2017 Alabama and slide yep, in 17. there. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, that, that's definitely a possibility and you're absolutely right. They're going to have to start praying for some teams to lose because after they come down to Athens and take a butt whooping against the dogs, they're going to be at the mercy of everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to have to hope at that point there's, they're in a little bit of a good situation with some of these other teams. Um, but the good thing is if you do lose to, if you're ranked number three and you do lose to a number one team in the country, um, I don't see you dropping very far. No, I think I, mean, I think at, I think six might be your your floor. Like look three, at three, look three. at Alabama. Yeah, they dropped three spots I, and lost to the number eight team in the country. Yeah, and so yeah, no, you're absolutely right. All right, so is that is that it on college ball? I believe so. Man, let's let's bust this thing into the Atlanta Falcons. Man, this is a Cinderella story. Man, I think that you can ask anybody out there. Um, fan base wise, and I don't think there would be a fan base out there that is more happy with a three and three start to the season than the Atlanta Falcons right now. Like I think that the Falcons fan base, me, Kenny, everybody that's in Falcons Nation, could not be more excited about a three and three start to the season. It has been an awesome season so far for the Falcons. You know, outside of the record, like we're gonna completely ignore that right now. We've done some look aheads. We're pumped. Um, and the reason we're pumped is because the Falcons just upset the San Francisco 49ers. 28 to 14 in Atlanta. There's multiple reasons to be very, very excited about this game. Um, the one I am going to mention first is the run game continues to be the Falcons' bread and butter. Teams still have not been able to quite figure out this Falcons' run game. If you watch the Falcons play, we run a lot of different crazy sets, a lot of different, you know, Parker Hesse's in the backfield. You know, we saw uh, Keith, Keith Smith back there a couple times lined up a little bit of like, like wishbone type look plays. And it has been working. Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley have filled in for, you know, Cordero Patterson after he went on the IR. Great. Like, they have been playing awesome football. That two-headed monster is is legit in the NFL right now. Um, and I also have to mention the quarterback, man. Marcus Mariota. 
he's not doing too much, but he is doing enough to succeed. Mariota looks good in his limited attempts. We're talking about a Falcons team that just beat San Francisco throwing the ball 14 times. <laughs> and completing it 13. Yes, completing it 13. Mariota is efficient. We love to see it. He also ran in a touchdown, which, which is cool. Um, also, I, I have to mention this. Uh, Isaiah Oliver, he got an interception in his first game back from a torn ACL, which was great to see. I mentioned him a little bit uh, last podcast. Uh, I'm talking about Isaiah Oliver. Getting him back on the field is, is huge for the Falcons because now we have a cornerback group that has A.J. Terrell, Casey Hayward, and Isaiah Oliver. I would put that up against almost any cornerback group in the league. Um, we did have a little bit of scare with the cornerback position. I do have to mention this. In the second half of the San Francisco game, we lost all three corners to injuries. <laughs> so kind of kind of walking it back a little bit. I think it, I think uh, Isaiah Oliver had a little bit of a hamstring issue. It didn't look very serious. He was There's a video on Twitter right now you can check out. He was walking off the field after he got hurt, and Arthur Smith was right there pointing for him to lay on the ground on the field. Don't walk off this field. We have to get a sub in for you, and he is not ready. You lay on this field and stop the damn game for a couple seconds. Like we have to get this. He was at the sideline and just fell. It was, it was, it was hilarious, man. It, if you haven't seen it yet, Kenny, you gotta, you have to look that up, man. It's, it's funny. Um, so, you know, I don't think AJ Terrell has been, you know, as, as too bad. Uh, Casey Hayward looked a little bit worse. He had, a, he had a little bit of an arm issue. It looked like he, he had to get some help getting off the field. It didn't look like he could put too much, like just dead weight on his arm. So that's a little bit of alarming. And I don't know what happened with Isaiah Oliver. I did not see anything that, you know, made me know it, but, I did see a little report said that he got removed from the game for injury. So I, I am curious about that. Maybe it's just something, you know, trying to still trying to get his legs under him a little bit, but and, we, uh, Casey Hayward actually just got put on the IR. He did. Yep. Okay. So it had to be something serious. Okay. Shoulder issue. Yeah. I'm not sure what the extent was. I'll, I'll pull it up while you keep going. Okay. But, um, you know, it's so funny to talk about a Falcons defense and talk about how we, how we have a little bit of depth depth out there. Um, Darren Hall came in and played a great game filling in for AJ Terrell on the outside spot. He looked really, really good. He broke up a pass that got intercepted later on by uh, Jalen Hawkins, which was, which was really nice to see. And I think there is a stat out there of cornerbacks that have played like 80 or more snaps. And he is rated as the second best corner in football in that category. Out of corners that have played 80 or more snaps, Darren Hall out of everybody is the second best corner in football. <laughs> Um, yeah, that is, that is a wild thing. That I don't think a lot of people would believe. <laughs> um, and then you talk about mine and Kenny's guy, D Alford, D Alford is a stud and you know, he's, he's coming in and filling in some of that positions too. Um, we love D Alford on, on this podcast. Um, so it's kind of weird to talk about a Falcons team that has a little bit of depth, the defensive back position. Um, the young defense, man, this young defense looks hungry and outside of the youth. We talk about guys like Grady Jarrett. We know he's a stud, but you know, Rashawn Evans at the middle linebacker spot, dude can play ball. Like, I, I, I like what I see from Rashawn Evans. He's, he's a big physical linebacker. They get up, stuff the run. He's, he's impressed me a lot. And then Troy Anderson, I think that Michael Walker, I think his job is, is gone. Um, yeah. Troy Anderson has came in, and he has taken that spot. And then his first NFL start, he led the team in tackles, which was very, very nice to see. And to kind of wrap up my little Falcons, uh, my little Falcons recap, the Falcons got to enjoy some Bud Lights after the win. What? Um, <laughs> I, I saw where um, they asked Arthur Smith if they've ever done that before, and he said they've never done it. He said that the offensive line brought it up on Saturday that if they were to rush for 100-plus yards and win the game, could they have 
a beer in the locker room. And they did that, and Arthur Smith made it happen. This is a guy that I did not really enjoy when he first came to Atlanta. I did not think he was going to be here very long. But, dude, this season right here has, I think that everybody can say, has completely changed everybody's opinion on Arthur Smith. Like, he went from, like, bottom five coach, in my opinion, in the NFL. It's like, I love this guy. Like, I, I want this guy to be here forever. Artie Smith yeah, is that dude. Build the statue right now. We love Artie. We love Artie on the podcast. So, Casey Hayward, um, I, I can't, I've been looking at multiple reports. I can't find a timetable of what they're expecting. Um, all I can see right here, he's placed on injured reserve. Obviously, that means minimum of four weeks. Yep. Um, a source told ESPN that he is likely to need surgery to repair the injury. Um, okay. never so, shoulders. Shoulder surgeries are a little bit weird because you can have surgery and then come back in two weeks or there's season-ending shoulder surgery. So I'm not sure what the extent of this injury is, um, but I do know that Artie Smith, after the game, said in regards to all three corners going down that Casey Haywards was the only one they were concerned with being long-term. Okay, I kind of figured that after seeing after seeing uh, definitely A.J. Terrell's. Like I said, I didn't even know Isaiah Oliver got hurt. Like I don't even know. I think it was undisclosed injury. Like I don't think they ever came out and said what, what was hurt, so. I'm I'm thinking that maybe it was just something, you know, the guy's just playing his first game after a tornado. It might have been a tornachilles. I don't remember what his injury was last year, but you know, anytime you're playing your first game after that, you're, they're gonna they're gonna play you with caution. Like if you're if you're feeling anything on the field, you're probably gonna be pulled out. <laughs> um, but that that kind of wraps up my Falcons talk, Kenny. Now I don't know if you have anything to put in on the Falcons. You covered it really well. There's only a couple things I wanted to hit on. One thing is I wanted to congratulate Mr. Kyle Pitts. Um, this is first touchdown on American soil. Beautiful. So Beautiful. we love to see that. We love to see that. Um, Kyle Pitts is a guy who is, a, we call him a unicorn. That's what he's known as around the league. He can do everything. He's built like LeBron James and runs like Usain Bolt, and he's got hands like Julio Jones. It's like who is this guy and what factory did he come from? So obviously we want to get him the ball more and uh, that's going to be a, a thing that we look to do and any team would. Um, Troy Anderson, you mentioned Troy Anderson, man. I love this guy. Um, he's an absolute stud and you are absolutely right. Filling in that starting role, I think he's earned it. He deserves it moving forward and I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, now one thing to, to paint a broad stroke over this entire game I want to say something that I've said multiple times on this podcast before. This Falcons team has the ability to fight through adversity. When you look at the box score in this game, other than the turnovers and the time of possession, everything was in San Francisco's favor. They had more total yards of offense, significantly more passing yards. We got them in the rushing yards. They had more yards per play. Uh, they had more first downs. They were, they ran more total plays than us. They punted less than us. They had less penalty yards. The thing that killed them was time of possession and turnovers. This Falcons team comes out with all of that being said, with a 14-point victory. All of those things that you look at, like I said, other than the turnovers, that's what can kill you, is pointing towards a San Francisco 49ers win. And the fact that the Atlanta Falcons don't have to tear it up on the box score and torch you in every aspect of the game to win shows me that this team is a pretty good football team. Yes, yes, you just mentioned it, man. It is not even just a win against San Francisco. It is a two-possession win against them. Like It is a two-full touchdown win over San Francisco. 
And like, I'm not gonna lie, I was watching the game and things started getting a little tight. And I, I, I guess it's just my Falcons fan in me. And I was watching it was, you know, 14-28. And I was like, oh man, they're about to come back on us. And we held, we held tight. Like we play a defense that is a bend don't break defense. That is what the Atlanta Falcons do. You're gonna get to the 50. You might get to the 45. You might get to the damn 40. But good luck getting past it, man, because they're going to hunker down. We're going to use a little dog reference right here. They're going to hunker down, and they're going to stop you. Like that That's what this Falcons team kind of showed. I mean, I know Brandon Ayuk came out. He had a pretty big game against the Falcons. But outside of that, you know, we we kept them in check. I mean, it, it, was, it was awesome. And two picks. Let's go. Let's get the turnover bug rolling, man. We're about to get some turnovers now. <laughs> turnovers are on our side. This Falcons team, dude, I mean – I mean, you talk about proving people wrong. I mean, even Falcons fans, you proved everybody wrong. Um, so when you're losing in total yardage and but playing fundamental defense and getting turnovers and forcing miscues on the other team, especially against a very good team in the 49ers, um, that's just that's the good that is a good sign that this might be a pretty good football team. Yeah, and I've seen everybody making fun of all the guys out there that had the Falcons projected to be like two and 15 or like three and 14 but falcons fans we can't lie like it, it, it's tough to lie going into the season if i was to tell you we were to start the season off with the saints Rams, seahawks browns buccaneers and 49ers if i had to put my money on it and my life was on the line i would tell you the falcons would be one and one and five right now yeah i do think that we were a better team than the seahawks i i i, I did think that was going to happen that was before geno smith came out and is is you know the highest completion percentage in, in the NFL right now. So they're a little bit better than what I thought they were going to be. Um, but I expected to be worse teams than all the other five teams we played. And it that's not the case. Like the Falcons no. have played, we have three losses and we were competitive in all three of those losses. None of those losses were blowouts. They were all one possession football game. So it, the Falcon now will say that the wins have been one possession too. That's the love. That's the joy of the NFL. And this Falcons team has shown that they can compete with the big dogs. You compete with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa. You compete with the Rams in LA. Like we can compete and we, I, I expect us to continue it. I was looking at this schedule going into the season thinking there was no way in hell the Falcons were going to make the playoffs. I, that was not in my mind. The schedule looked really, really tough, but you know, we've kind of got through a little bit of a tough portion of that schedule. We do have Cincinnati next week. We'll talk about that a little bit more, you know, on our next episode. But after that, you know, things kind of start lightening up a little bit towards the Falcons' favor. So there's a good chance that this Falcons team could get a couple games over 500 as that playoff time starts approaching. I'm really, really hoping that we see it, man. Dude, I'm so excited to see this Falcons team play for the rest of the year. I mean, they just they proved me wrong in every aspect of the game. And uh, they are, whether you're a Falcons fan or not, this is one of the most fun teams to watch in the NFL. It is so much fun because they're so different. Like they will come out there and they will run the ball down your throat every single play. And a big part of the NFL is what you can do in the trenches. If a team is good in the trenches, offensively and defensively, usually they are a good football team. You can almost yeah. bank on that team having a successful season. When we've seen it with we've seen it with Pittsburgh for you know size this year, but you know past years that Pittsburgh team outside of their defensive front and their offensive line. It's never that great. Mike Tomlin kept on getting them to the playoffs. Like, like they, 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 were, they were having winning seasons. So, and going into the year, the Falcons, we were expecting bad play from the defensive line and bad play from the offensive line. We were expecting bottom five, you know, groups at both of those spots. And we have not got that. 
this Falcons offensive line is 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 a legit like this Falcons offensive line is good, which is something I did not expect to say. But they are a legit a good offensive line. Elijah Wilkerson was a journeyman tackle, and he has came in and filled that left guard spot greatly. Caleb McGarry has taken a huge step at the right tackle spot. We knew Chris Lindstrom was good. We knew Jake Matthews was good. Drew Dahlman. Drew Dahlman has not had the most amazing season so far, but he looks like a guy with improvement could be the center for the next 10 years in Atlanta. Like there, there are so many levels to how this Falcons team looks right now. And it, it's just it's it's just crazy to just look at the team and see how they're doing. Um, defensive, we talk about Arnold Ebiketti. He's a guy that we were all excited about coming out of Penn State this past year. He's performed great. Grady Jarrett looks like an all pro again. Like there's it, it's like it's almost like Grady got that re, like almost got rejuvenated with his defense. And, you know, I sent y'all a text saying this looked like the Falcons Super Bowl team defense. Maybe not the most talented, but there's dogs. There's firepower. There's youth. You know, these guys want to come out and they want to win. We talk about the young safeties with Jalen Hawkins and Richie Grant. These guys want to play and they want to win, which is awesome to see, man. That's all you can ask for in, in football is a team that wants to come out there and win. They may not be better personnel-wise, but you best believe they're going to come out there and fight you, you know, nail to nail, and they are going to do whatever they can to beat you on any Sunday. Yeah, man, you said it perfectly right there, Jake. I mean, and I've said it multiple times, too, about just fighting through adversity, winning games that you shouldn't be in, winning games that you that no one thinks you're going to be able to win, and staying close in games that people don't expect you to be competitive in. Like, it's the complete polar opposite of what we've seen from the Falcons. Like, we've been better on paper than teams and lost at the end of the game whether it's we you know we're up and then we blow a lead or whether we just lose in all facets of the game and a team is just flat out better than us now you look on the other end of the spectrum where you look at the the depth chart from top to bottom and you're like this team is a bottom five roster in the nfl well i mean that might be true in some cases but it's a lot of youth it's a lot of guys that are getting significant playing time and that are just looking like they might be guys they're just looking like they might be bona fide players. And you put that in there with a veteran quarterback, an experienced coaching staff, a new revamped coaching staff, and a new culture, it almost feels like, in Atlanta. Like, this team, you talk about the upper echelon teams in the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs, Buffalo Bills, Philadelphia Eagles. You know, they're kind of, they've kind of set themselves apart as the top tier in the NFL. But if you're to look at four through 32 – I put the Falcons up against anybody. Yes. And uh, we mentioned it with, like, guys. Our top three offensive contributors this game, outside of Marcus Mariota, who is the quarterback, and you can even throw him in there as Marcus Mariota being a top contributor. We had Marcus Mariota, Caleb Huntley, Tyler Algier, and Alameda Sakias as our top offensive contributors this, year, this week. And we beat the 49ers by two, two touchdowns. I guarantee yeah. you go to majority of NFL fans, you take Marcus Mario's name out of there, and you say Caleb Huntley, Tyler Algier, and Alameda Sakias, and you ask them, can you name what team any of these guys play for? They would not be able to tell you. And nope. it's funny, because we talk about guys, and maybe they're just guys. I've been thinking this this year. If you put Alameda Sakias on that Kansas City team and let him play as many snaps he does in Atlanta, that dude's putting up numbers. That dude is yeah. opening eyes. Like, he just plays in Atlanta. We don't get attention. We don't throw the ball that much. Alameda Zacchaeus is a guy, and people got to realize that stuff. Like, it, it, it is true. He may not be the biggest name. He might not be, you know, your Russell Gage or your, you know, guys we've had in the past, but he can play ball, man. He, he is a good, good wide receiver. We have plenty of guys like that on this roster of guys that, you know, nationally they might not be known all around the nation, but 
in Atlanta, you watch them play every Sunday, they can play ball. They absolutely can. And there's just so much youth, man. These guys are they're young players. They bring a different type of energy to this team. Our team is legit constructed of young players or like journeymen guys that are just trying to find a spot in the league. And we are a three and three team and a team that like Nate, like nationally, we are opening eyes right now. Like we're finally getting a little bit of attention where the Falcons are three and three. We just beat the 49ers. Like we mentioned, we are at, like, it, it's deserved. And it, it's, it's cool to see, you know, this Falcons team getting the attention that we are right now. Oh yeah. Dude, this Falcons team, it's just, it, we didn't expect it. And it's such a breath of fresh air. And it almost feels like you can do no wrong. Because, like, if the season blows up and we don't make the playoffs, we're exactly where we thought we were going to be with exactly. more wins and more upside. Exactly. Um, that, that pretty much wraps it up on Atlanta Talk for me. Um, do you have anything else that you would like to talk about on this podcast? Kenny, we're a little bit over an hour 30 right now, so. Yeah, no, I am good, man. Um, I'm excited about the next episode because we'll get a little preview of what to look at this week. I think we're going to get a little bit more around the league's talk with Georgia being on a bye week. So uh, that's pretty exciting to kind of get into that. And we'll we'll dive into our bets a little bit. Uh, Jake and I have been on a little bit of a heater lately. The show record is is up there right now. So we'll we'll dive into those, talk some numbers in the next episode, and, and see if we can't win somebody some money. And that's a great idea, Kenny. Uh, I do want to mention before we get out of here, if you haven't yet, go check out our social. Um, Twitter, um, you can find us at Peach State Pod. Put out some bangers over there, try to get some stuff out there. If you're listening to us on the live stream side right now, hello, everybody. Or if you're finding this a little bit later or not, listen to us live, it's fine in the video. Hi. Uh, you can check us out at Peach State Tailgate on Spotify or Apple Podcast. And you're talking to, if you're looking, oh, that was rough. Um, if you're listening to us on the podcast side of things, uh, check us out on YouTube. You'll be able to see our faces. Uh, usually me and Kenny start the live like 15, 20 minutes earlier than that. We actually start recording. We kind of just talk crap for a little bit. So if you're into that type of thing, sometimes we'll give a little bit more information out than what we do on the podcast. We're kind of brainstorming at that point. So, you know, just check us out. And uh, I do want to say thank you before I let Kenny, Kenny get, get us out of here. Uh, I do want to say thank you all for listening. And, you know, the support's been great. We've been kind of, you know, going to a little bit of an uprise recently. We're kind of popping back off. And, you know, that's because of you guys, man. And, you know, we really appreciate it. Just two guys talking ball and having some guys listen, man, or having some guys and ladies listen, whoever's out there. But uh, yeah, just thank y'all so much, man. And Kenny, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it to you, and then we can get up out of here. Yeah, man, you said it very well. Thank you guys so much for the support. All, anytime you guys can dive in here and talk talk ball with us, listen to us talk ball, and interact with us any way you can. Like Jake said, you know, hop on the socials, hop on the YouTube, hop in that live a little bit early with us, and you know, shoot the crap with us and, and talk ball. And any kind of interaction you can give us, we appreciate it. It just helps us make the show better. Um, happy to get back to a little bit more of a normal schedule this week and hopefully carry this out throughout the rest of, of these uh, sports seasons that we've got going right now, some stuff kicking off. So uh, we got a lot of good content coming to you guys up pretty soon, and um, I can't wait to, to, to dive into it, talk some more ball, and uh, thank you all.